Welcome back, everyone. It is now episode four of A White Girl's Guide to Hip Hop. Um, this is crazy. It's I didn't think this would turn into such a fun little project. Um, and every week I find myself doing research and being like, oh, this topic's going to be so great. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. But for now, we got to finish up our regions conversation. Um, so last week we talked about Midwest hip hop. And so today we're going to actually go into the dirty South. Um, I know that maybe I'd mentioned it going into kind of East Coast because I was in D.C. over the holidays. Um, But I've been sick for the last like three weeks. Um, I feel miserable. I'm finally getting my voice back. Um, And I've had some experiences with Dirty South Hip Hop uh, since our last conversation. And so I thought it'd be kind of cool to flip the script and talk about Houston, Texas, Atlanta, Um, Miami, New Orleans, uh, all the big cities that have to do with what we call Dirty South. So I hope you enjoy. All right, so dirty South hip hop. Um, it's a term that may or may not be used um, unless you live in the South. Some people just, you know, call them South rappers. Um, but the Dirty South is a distinct style. Um, it definitely is classified by certain cities in Southern states, but it actually got its start back in the 1980s um, as a kind of struggle to get uh, recognition. Rappers try to get recognition between East Coast and West Coast hip hop. Um, and so that's kind of where it came out of um in the late 1980s as a reaction to the growing demand of hip-hop from L.A. and Brooklyn or, you know, the boroughs in general. Um, But, you know, Dirty South rappers uh, don't necessarily come from the major cities that we're going to talk about today. They're mainly from suburbs um, of those cities. So, for example, UGK was actually from Port Arthur, Texas, even though he is considered a Houston rapper. Um, So today when we talk about artists, just keep that in mind that I will always say the major city, um, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on neighborhoods just because everyone is from such a vast array of zip codes. Um, but so, uh, the dirty South actually, you know, had its height, just like mumble rap has its height, just like, um, R and B late night sex music had its height. Um, but you know, dirty South music really got its start in the late nineties. Um, that's when a lot of artists were coming into this genre. Um, but from the 2001 to 2005 ish time is really when it was at its height and it was mainstream music. Um, so that's going to be artists, uh, like UGK, TI, uh, Killa Kyleon got his start during that time. And so we're going to see a big trend. Um, and then after we kind of go through each of these, um, I am going to talk about the declines in Dirty South, what happened after 2004 or 5, um, and kind of talk about the dips of how it got kind of back into mainstream, if you want to call it that. Um, so 
the cities that we're going to cover today are Houston, Atlanta, New Orleans, Memphis, and Miami. Um, I don't plan to touch on each one as heavily as I did the cities last week um, because I definitely just want you to get a taste of Dirty South because it's not as pertinent um, today as other techniques and sounds are. And that's not to say that upcoming artists today do not take influence because they definitely do, especially in Houston. You're going to see a lot of influence from DJ Screw. Um, when artists are interviewed, they're going to be talking about their influences um, of other artists who were popular during the height of Dirty South. But you're really not going to see anyone sit here and say, Sean Millionaire's ride-in was astronomically influential to me, and I still listen to his music every single day. You're probably not going to hear that too often, um, but if you're that person that listens to them every day, let me know. Uh, let me know on Twitter, and we'll have a fun discussion about it. But so, starting out in Houston, um, Houston is really where the Dirty South got its start, um, and the Ghetto Boys are accredited They're with being the first rap group to fall under what is known as the Dirty South style. Um, they are from Houston, and they got started in the late 1980s. Um, they actually used Rick Rubin as their producer, um, and if you don't know who Rick Rubin is, he is a very highly regarded, highly respected um, individual in the music industry. He has really been around as long as hip-hop has been around. He was a producer out of New York. Um, he was co-president of Def Jam alongside Russell Simmons. Um, he worked at Columbia Records, and then he actually started America American Recordings. Um, and so since then, he's been, you know, producing, writing, managing. Um, but the Ghetto Boys, uh, they got their start with him um, in 1992 was their first album. Um and you probably may not know their name, uh, but they're, they have a very notorious phrase uh, that you probably have heard, whether you've seen Office Space or you've just heard someone say the phrase, damn, it feels good to be a gangsta. Um, that is their kind of one hit song that everyone attributes to the Ghetto Boys. Now, they had a pretty extensive career. They've put out a couple albums, um, but that is what they are known for is that phrase. So then following the Ghetto Boys, um, and I apologize if I am going to be sniffling. I am getting over a cold. I feel miserable if my voice cuts out. I promise I'll re-record this. Um, but Following the Ghetto Boys, you have UGK. Um, and like I mentioned before, they're actually from Port Arthur, which is a suburb of Houston. Um, if you know the Gulf at all, you know that Port Arthur sits right on the Gulf. Um, it is a college spring break kind of place. Um, a lot of oil. Uh, but UGK is a rap group, um, and their first album, Too Hard to Swallow, came out in the early 90s. Um, and they're known as kind of the uh, pioneers in the Dirty South um, for the 90s. They're, they're a huge group in the 90s um, that kind of hit national attention. Um, but in 2007, one of their group members, Pimp C, did die. Um, and so they are not a performing band anymore, but they are pretty... Um, you know, they're still heavily respected in the industry for the things that they did and the songs that they put out. Um, and then other, you know, today moving, moving from, you know, that 1990s through now, um, artists like Killa Kyleone and Slim Thug, um, have come out of Houston, Travis Scott, Beyonce, um, 
But Killikylon and Slim Thug were actually a part of a group called the Boss Hog Outlaws, um, which Killikylon which Killikylion ended up leaving in 2011, and he just actually rekindled that relationship. Um, But Killikylion is probably my favorite Dirty South rapper. Um, If you follow me on anything um, social media-wise, I write a lot about him. Um, I've written three research papers on him during my undergrad time at Texas State um, because of the content that he's put out in the last year. Um, Kelly Calione put out an album called Lorraine Motel, and it is an entire journey through uh, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and his belief that the Black Dream died when Martin Luther King was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. Um, Now, Prior to Lorraine Motel, Killikylion was very much a Dirty South rapper. He rapped about Purple Drink and about Slip and Serp and, uh, you know, being a gangster. He had that gangster rap feel to him. Um, But Lorraine Motel was kind of a a turning point, I guess you could say, in his career. And uh, he's had a lot of positive feedback and a lot of... uh, growth because of that album Um, and I actually got to see him perform a couple weeks ago but we'll talk about that in a little bit so moving on to Atlanta Um, Atlanta has been called the Motown of the South Um, if you don't know about Motown records you should definitely look into that because it's where R&B got its start Um, but Motown of the South uh, that's what Atlanta's called um, particularly because of all of the artists that have come out of Atlanta Um, so you know during this transition time mid-90s to early 2000s, you're going to have TLC, Criss Cross, Outkast, Goody Mob, T.I., Lil Jon. Um, now there's an upcoming rapper. His name's Black. He spells it C-L-A-C-K, or the number six, sorry, six L-A-C-K, but he pronounces it, you know, Black, but people make fun of him and call him Slick Slack. Uh, but so he's out of Atlanta, too. Um, he is one of my, you know, 2015 through present favorite artist. Um, he just put out an EP in 2000, end of 2016. So a little over a year ago. And, you know, so you have a lot of older rappers that are, you know, obviously coming out of Atlanta. If you look at T.I. or Lil Jon now, they're, you know, almost 40, if not already 40. And then you have Black coming into the scene who is barely 21. Um, so Atlanta, you know, looking at Outkast, um, Outkast is probably the most successful rap group coming out of Atlanta over this time. Um, they actually won six Grammys at one point, um, and they were the first group under the Southern sound, so to speak, um, that sold as many records as artists from the East and the West Coast had done. Um, so Outkast was definitely a, you know outrageously popular group. I'm sure you know who Outkast is. TLC first 
real big female group out of Atlanta. Um, they are known for their waterfall song, for their, you know, iconic bandana fashion. Um, but, you know, and then you have Goody Mob, who either know Goody Mob or you don't. He's definitely an OG in hip-hop. Um, but I doubt a lot of kids these days know who Goody Mob is. 1945 and then you know again Lil John TI you're going to know you know uh Lil John's now apparently the face of Papa John's. That was a petition going through Twitter. Uh, T.I. has had a lot of success, especially with Justin Timberlake right after this kind of Dirty South uh, phase kind of ended. He did a lot with Justin Timberlake in 2007 to 2008. But that's Atlanta. There's a lot of record labels in Atlanta. A lot of upcoming kids come out of Atlanta um, referencing, you know, previous conversations. Um, One of the rappers that kind of fits into that pop punk rap phase Kyle Lucas is from the Atlanta suburbs um so Atlanta is definitely a mecca place um it's pretty head and head with Houston in terms of popularity with hip-hop um but then you have New Orleans Memphis and Miami who kind of trail in popularity um New Orleans has a record label No Limit um that supports Snoop Dogg and Slick the Shocker um but most importantly New Orleans has Cash Money Records um which is run by Birdman um and you probably have heard of Cash Money because Lil Wayne, Nicki Minaj, Drake, all of those big name artists that are still big today uh, at one point were signed to Cash Money. There's been a lot of controversy with Cash Money and Birdman not paying their dues um, to these artists, uh, but they've all very closely worked together, which is something that we really have never seen on a record label um, in terms of collaboration with constant back to forth collaboration on almost every track that was put out from 2005 to 2012. Um, you're going to see Lil Wayne and Nicki Minaj on multiple tracks during this time, even through today. Um, and then Drake kind of slid in in 2011 and joined that group. Um, but with Cash Money, you know, Lil Wayne these and Drake and Nicki Minaj, these artists are still pretty on top compared to the other artists that I've mentioned, you know, like Criss Cross and TLC. They don't do music so to speak anymore um Lil Wayne does his dedication mixtapes um he's just recently put out his sixth one um and basically what he does is he sits down and picks his favorite instrumentals and then freestyles over them so the dedication six mixtape included Kendrick Lamar's DNA it included Black's Problems instrumental um and so you're going to still see these artists regularly involved with music compared to other uh, 
other rappers that I previously mentioned. But I will say that Snoop Dogg has been rumored to be releasing a gospel album in 2018, um, which I would be fucking stoked for. Um, I love Snoop Dogg, even though he is from California, uh, you know, and represents Cali weed life. Um, He's got a cooking show with Martha Stewart, which he's nominated for an Emmy. Uh, Snoop Dogg is literally a god. Like, I don't care that he changed his name to Snoop Lion for a half minute. I love Snoop Dogg so much. Um, And so if he puts out this gospel album, I will definitely... It will be an album I will be buying for the first time in a long time, and I'm super stoked if it does happen. Um, But as of right now, it's a rumor, just like so many other things are. Um, And then in Memphis, you have another group uh, called 3-6 Mafia. Um, They are pretty notorious for being in the same playlist as Tech 9 who I mentioned last uh, last episode. Um, They kind of have that chop that chopper and screw chopper style um all right so then lastly you have Miami um Miami is Miami um I I don't know I'm not a huge like Miami rap scene fan I think that it's all you know if you look at like when I think of Miami, I think of like Pitbull, right? Like I just don't really take that city seriously for music because it's like fun sand, beach, and boobs, right? It's like fun music. Um, but there is a group called Two Live Crew who is out of uh, Miami, um, but they were very controversial for uh, having explicit sexual content in their music in the late 1980s uh, because sex really wasn't something that was in hip-hop then. Um, And so they got a lot of backlash for that. Um, They really didn't make it into the new millennium. Um, They kind of faded out like other rap groups did in the 90s. But then uh, coming out of Miami, who's still pretty big today, is Rick Ross. Um, Rick Ross has done a lot of music, a lot of producing um, for up-and-coming artists. Uh, And he actually put out an album in early 2017. And it's one of those albums... It's one of those albums you kind of forgot that it came out uh, because it was released so early in the year. Um, But it's called Rather You Than Me. Um, And it's a pretty, pretty dope album. Um, But, you know, it just like when albums come out so early, you kind of forget about them because there's 500 other albums that come out during the year. Um, But Rather You Than Me you know, included artists like Young Thug, Future, Jeezy, Gucci Mane. Uh, it did have Nas on the album, um, but mainly, you know, Rick Ross works with up-and-coming artists or mainstream popular artists. He doesn't necessarily, you know, sit and reminisce on the old days, even though he is considered an OG from the Miami scene. So other popular Southern artists that have emerged since kind of the fall of Dirty South rap in 2004 include Young Thug, Future, Travis Scott, like I've mentioned, um, 2 Chains, Ray Shrimmerd. Uh, they are from Alabama. I believe they're from Mobile. Um, and their story is actually kind of cool. I mean, you know, their desired taste. Um, I have seen them in uh, live on multiple occasions um because they have come to austin weirdly a lot uh for festivals here like fun 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 fest i've seen them at south by i've seen them i've seen them play fader fort 
twice, um, which is a event at South by it's a music stage at South by, um, but they, you know, are two brothers who were homeless for a while and all the money they were making would put into recording. Um, and they actually submitted their mixtape and was signed pretty much the same day um, because they have a unique sound. Um, they're definitely, you either like them or you don't. Um, but then there's also Waka Flocka, Gucci Mane, um, Migos. If you know who Migos is, my guess is that you do because they are one of the top one of the top groups right now in hip hop. Um, they've had a lot of backlash against the argument they had with Joe Budden on everyday struggle. They're kind of known for their extensive, elaborate, uh, fashion choices. Um, and one of them is offset. Uh, it's offset. And then the two other brothers, uh, they are, he's engaged to Cardi B, who's a female rapper who's pretty big in the game right now. Um, and then you have French Montana, ASAP Rocky, uh, and Lil Uzi Vert. Um, but you know, French Montana, I love him. His album that came out last year is incredible. Uh, Unforgettable, which is one of the top tracks on that album. Um, he actually raised money for, kids in Uganda, um, and mothers. Um, and so he's got a really cool message. He's super humble. Um, he was on Ellen with Diddy and it was just freaking great. I, I really like French Montana. I like his style. Um, and I like that he's very like a soft-spoken, not in your face kind of artist. Um, and because he spends his time telling his message in music instead of, you know, being on Instagram live, smoking weed and, making a fool out of himself like Lil Pump did last night, getting his wisdom teeth out. Um, and then, you know, uh, influences of these artists, you're really going to see, especially from Texas, a lot of individuals calling DJ Screw one of their heavy influencers um, that pretty much talked them into getting music. Um, DJ Screw was a pretty big DJ, um, out of the Houston area. He was a promoter. Um, he would play artists who were up and coming. He would spin their records on the radio. Um, but he, and he ended up dying in 2000, um, because of, uh, a drug called purple drink. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Um, but he, he was the one that created the chop and screw technique as a DJ. Um, so if you ever hear, anyone mention uh chop and screw or dj screw um that is who they're talking about uh out of houston uh you know talking about houston uh as well um like i just mentioned the purple drink um it is a drug term uh that got its start in houston texas um it actually was is because I'm sure people still drink it. Um, but it's a concoction made of cough syrup and then, uh, a, a prescription drug inside of it. Um, so you basically mix cough syrup with like Sprite or vodka or, you know, whatever you're going to do. Um, and it really became popular in the hip hop community starting in the late nineties. Um, and it ultimately killed a lot of artists, um, because everyone was rapping about the drug and every, it was the thing to do. Count it up, spend it. My bad if these broke ass niggas get offended. Sipping syrup smoothies, sprite and drink blended. Me and the bad bitch ass poking like syringes. I keep one next to my Jimmy like Hendrix. Schooling these niggas like Lamar, no Kendrick. Yeah, you know I smoke. 
Weirdly, I remember kids in high school, in the high school in Ohio that I went to, drinking purple drink. Like, they would have a Sonic cup and put cough syrup in their Sprite. I mean, it was it was that influential. Um, and ultimately, that was one of the reasons why Houston hip-hop kind of faded off the map for a while, because it killed so many artists in the, in the Houston scene. Um but, you know, if you haven't heard of the term purple drank, it's also has been called uh, Sizzurp, Drank, Purple Jelly, Texas Tea, Dirty Sprite. Dirty Sprite isn't used a lot in cash money artists. Um, that's kind of a term that they have coined um, in their music. But be careful of purple drank. Um, you're going to hear it a lot in this music um, from this genre. Uh, but... D rappers that died from Purple Dragon include DJ Screw, Pimp C, who was part of UGK, Big Mo, um, and I'm sure there are countless others, but those are the top three um, that really were influential to the game that, you know, kind of killed the Dirty South sound um, because of it. So I actually had the opportunity to witness some Dirty South hip hop um, right before Christmas. Um, we had a showcase here in Austin called the Trillash Showcase, um, and it included Houston artists, um, DJs, and then the DJs kind of brought in local rappers um, to perform on top of those DJ sets. Um, but the rappers that were brought in were Kurt Cobain's and my idol, my respected, my boo, my everything, uh, Killa Kyleone. I'm a huge fan of him, y'all. And so when I saw that this show was coming up, I was like, I gotta go. Like, I hope I can cover it. Like, I want to write up a piece about this for Lunch Table. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I reached out and I ended up getting a press pass. And I was like, oh my God, like, I was freaking out. And so I went to the show and it was incredible energy. Um, I had never really been around the Houston scene. Um, you know, being in Austin, Yes, we have a hip-hop scene here. I'm not going to lie to you and say that we don't because that's not true. I have interviewed artists who are from Austin, um, but I, you know, it's not that big of a hip-hop scene. And so usually we end up bringing in outside artists from other cities to perform here. Even though Austin is the live music capital of the world, we don't necessarily produce local artists who are up and coming like Atlanta or Houston. We don't really raise our artists up that way. Um, the scene in Austin is very much a segregated community. Um, there are a lot of bars in Austin that think that hip-hop is ghetto or too hood um and that was kind of what the issue with this show that I went to um ended up being um so I had the really great opportunity to sit uh with you know the people that put this entire show together um which ironically a couple of them ended up knowing one of my coworkers, so that was really cool to kind of bond on a larger level and you know go back to work and be like oh hey I hung out with so-and-so uh and they know you and blah 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 um but so I got the chance to kind of sit in the green room and talk to uh you know again the people putting on the show but also some of the artists that were 
performing, um, you know, to kind of hear their thoughts on what the Houston rap scene looks like to them. Um, and you know, one of those, one of those DJs, uh, in particular, DJ Michael, 5,000 Watts, um, he is a very respected DJ in the Houston scene. He's been in the game for 20 plus years. Um, he similarly to DJ screw, like I mentioned before, uh, you know, spends the time working with upcoming artists. He has no problem playing someone's track on the radio if, you know, he can. Um, and he's done collaborations and produced uh, tracks for rappers. Um, but so as we were all kind of sitting in the green room, uh, there were maybe, maybe 20 of us. Um, we sat and the conversation about Houston not getting its due in the rap scene kind of came up and, uh, you know, it made me really curious as to what he meant until I had started, you know, came home and did my research about how the purple drink had kind of killed off the scene there. Um, but it is interesting if you look at Houston music, you know, yeah, sure. We have Beyonce. Yeah, sure. Travis Scott, if you don't know who Travis Scott is, um, he's he's pretty mainstream, but not as mainstream as I feel like he might be. Um, but, you know, for artists who have been in the game since the late 90s or the early 2000s and are still putting out quality content like Killa Kyleone, it's really interesting as to why they're not gaining as much national attention as maybe they should be. Um, and so during this conversation, you know, it made me think about, you know, well, why aren't major labels representing these artists? And why are these artists only signing to local-ish type record labels? Um, you know, where's the promotion? You know, and then I kind of looked at this show too, and this show didn't necessarily have that much promotion. I saw it through a retweet on Twitter. Um, but, you know, it's, I felt like in the hip hop community, uh, you know, and as we're talking about regions today, I feel like if you are up and coming and you have a distinct sound, if you're, you know, stuck on that dirty South sound or you're stuck on that Chicago sound or that Midwest, you know, chopper sound, or, you know, even hip hop from the East coast or the West coast, <coughs> I feel like you, may have a harder time crossing that barrier into mainstream music unless you take the time to become a mainstream artist. And that means honing in on what is going to be popular, not sticking with one single sound because that's what you enjoy. You have to kind of express yourself as an artist if you want to make money these days. Um, but so, you know, we sat there and we all discussed, uh, you know, we talked about Eminem and we talked about, you know, all these artists that have, you know, done their time. Um, and, you know, but what about the artists who have done their time and haven't made anything? Um, so following Michael Watts, uh, Kurt Cobain's was set to be on stage. Um, and I've never seen Kurt Cobain's. I don't know his music other than, you know, his two kind of one hit wonder tracks. Um, but so we all kind of, you know, headed out to go watch him perform. Um, and, you know, they kept announcing he's on his way. He's on his way. Uh, Kurt Cobain's actually ended up not playing. So that was definitely an experience from like the backside of things, because at this point I had been like hanging out with the group that had put the show on. And so I had heard a lot of things that I'm not going to repeat on this podcast. Um, we'll save that for a journal entry for when I die. Um, but 
it was definitely interesting to see how it's handled when an artist refused to perform. Um, they definitely, the group that put the show on, definitely did it very professionally. They, you know, kept the openers going. Um, there were a lot of smaller rap groups, you know, either from, you know, basically from the Austin area that were performing um, and kind of kept the energy going. Uh, and I think that they did a really good job. But so Kurt, the Kurt Cobain incident happened and... <clears throat> I'm at the point where I'm like, I have to get this interview with Killa Kyleone. If I don't do it, like, it's not going to happen. And so I headed back to the green room, um, and Killa Kyleone and one of his squad dudes is there. Um, and they're sitting there, you know, Killa's on his laptop, and uh, I was like, I don't want to interrupt. You know, I'm, I'm this, like, I may be sound outgoing, but I am so shy when it comes to meeting new people. And so, you know, Killa Kylie owns on his laptop and there's this long hallway before you get to the green room. And so I, uh, I walk back there and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't want to interrupt. Um, but I just had a couple of questions for you if you have time. And he was like, I'm a little busy. Why don't you just sit down give me like five minutes and I'll give you my attention. I'm like, you know, thing I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be the longest five minutes of my life. Like I'm freaking out. Um, cause I don't have that much experience interviewing rappers and I'm still kind of in that phase of like fangirling because I love someone's artistry so much that I, you know, I was like, oh my God, like this incredible person whose album made me literally sob on the second track. Like I, I honestly, y'all, like I did not make it through Lorraine Motel. Like I cried through the entire thing. Um, because it's just such a powerful album. Um, and so, you know, I'm sitting there, we're hanging out. And all of a sudden he was like, what you need, right? Like, he's just like, okay, like I'm done. Like I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you half-hearted attention because you just want to write a piece about me. Like you're a journalist, whatever. So I start off and I tell him, I was like, well, first I just want to say thank you for your Lorraine Motel album. It literally changed my life. I wrote two different research papers on you and he stopped me. And he was like, you what? You wrote research paper? And I'm like, yeah, it got recommended uh, to be published within the department. And, you know, I did all this analysis of racism in the 1960s versus music we're hearing today. And, you know, I'm, I'm blabbering at this point. And, uh, you know, because I'm like so excited that I'm finally getting to talk to someone that I wrote something about before, you know, I met them. Um, and, uh, and so he was like, yes, I really want to read this, like send this over to me, like this is incredible. I can't believe you did that. And like that just y'all like seriously that like I was like, I don't even care about this interview anymore. Like I am just so glad that I am making this contact. Um, and I definitely think like that shows a lot about artists who are kind of veteran veteran into the system, right? So Killa Kalyan's been rapping since the late 90s. Um, he's put out handfuls of albums at this point. Um, but he acts like a normal human. Like, I feel like if you were to meet Migos or Lil Uzi Vert, it would be all about publicity. Like, they would just want to get their picture with you and, like, leave. Like, they don't want to, like, spend the time talking to you. And I felt like Killa Kalyan, like, actually cared about what I had to say. Um you know, and continuing that impression that I had had before I met him. Um, but so 
we were chatting, um, and the people who ultimately ran this show, you know, came back to the green room. They're like, hey, like, your time got cut. We had to keep pushing this Kurt Cobain's thing back. Like, you know, you have 45 minutes or however long that he had. I think he had about 45 minutes to perform. Um, and so we all walked out to, like, go on the stage. I got a spot pretty close to the stage. Um, and he was like, I really hope you enjoy the show. Um, you know, bye, basically. And so I'm, you know, I, I'm standing next to the stage. I'm like losing it. This is like a turning point in music for me because I've never, I've never seen an underground rapper live that I've respected so heavily before I saw them live and did my research. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of flip where I found this album and it changed my life. And then I'm finally seeing this artist on stage. It was just so incredible. Um, so, you know, Killer Kyleon comes out and DJ, Michael Watts, um, did his music, um, you know, and he's talking about how much he loves Austin and, you know, his time in the game. And he had told me in the green room prior, you know, that he was going to play parts of Lorraine Motel. And I was like, fuck yeah. Like, I love this album so much, but there's like other tracks I want to hear too. Right. And, um, and so it was just like, you know, he's performing. And at one point he was performing, um, <coughs> He was performing the track Regular Average, and he ended up, like, straight up going acapella on it, and it was just incredible. Like, he was, like, every, like, two songs, he was, like, cut the music, and he just, like, did it on his own. Um, and then he ended up playing Kill o Killing Over Jays, which is on Lorraine Motel, and it's basically about kids in inner city who are shooting each other over shoes. Literally, this has happened um, in the news, and so he wrote a song about it. Well, Michael Jordan, when you need them, niggas killing over Jays. They get blind for a fresh pal. These niggas dying for a fresh pal. They killing niggas for their next pal. They say 11 was the best pal. Them gun calls, but ain't no jet down. Used to be once a month. Now they drop once a week. Same shit, different color. We buy them on repeat. Spinners insanity, brainwashing off vanity. Label us top consumer, the verdict, whole money management. Last year we spent a trillion and they make a dime. They make a profit, got them popping, got our pockets lined. But unfortunately, the the venue that this show was at, Empire Control Room, which is a pretty notorious place for having hip-hop out, especially during uh, South By and ACL, um, they were very, uh, I guess maybe disrespectful is the right word. It's a little strong, but I don't think it's wrong to use that word. Um, there had been a lot of issues with Empire Control Room prior to the show actually happening from what I had heard. Um, and then coming into the show, they weren't as willing to give artists what they had asked for or be, you know, flexible with the people who had started the show uh, or put the show together. Um, so in Austin, uh, bars have a strict close at two o'clock. So bars are open until 2 a.m. here, and it is a strict no sale after uh, 1 I think that's last call. And so Killa had, like, half of his set cut. He, like, had a bunch of issues with his music on stage, his instrumentals. And so at 2 o'clock, Empire Control Room, legit, I'm not kidding, literally turned all of the house lights on and kicked him off stage. They did not let him have a minute over. They started ushering every single audience member out the second that they could. Um, 
But, you know, I was like, fuck that. Like, I'm going to hang out. Like, I know people. Like, I don't care. Like, I will I will pay my dues if I can hang out for, like, five more minutes. And uh, so I ended up waiting. Kill Kyleon took a bunch of pictures with people on stage. But he had seen me kind of hanging around um, under, you know, at, at the end of the, at, like, the end of the stage. And um, he immediately came over to me after he got off stage and was like, how did you enjoy the show? Like, what was your favorite part? Did you like it? I'm so glad you came out. Uh, gave me his contact to send him my paper. And, uh, you know, it was, it was great. And he was like, you know, let's get together after the new year to finish up your article for you. But that's just, you know, even though Dirty South doesn't get a good rep as a rap genre, his professionalism spoke so much to who Houston rappers are because they're looking for that mainstream respect that they deserve. Um, and so it was definitely an interesting experience um, for me, especially because I don't get to go to a lot of hip hop um, because it just doesn't really happen in Austin. Um, you know, Logic and Joey Badass were here over the summer. Um, but it was in an arena. And so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that intimate hip hop feeling that you should get from a hip hop show. Um, and this show specifically, the Trillass Xmas party was definitely a, uh, a good experience to have when it comes to subgenres of hip hop, like the dirty South. <coughs> so, uh, yeah. So, you know, dirty rap, uh, is it getting pushed out of the mainstream for specific reasons? I'm not necessarily sure. Um, you know, we've seen artists, you know, like just even the ones that I mentioned earlier who had a struggle staying popular because of their drug use. Um, and they had kind of a downfall because their choice of drug was killing everyone or they were ODing. Um, or is it just, you know, maybe it's because artists in Dirty South rap are more on the older side. Um, and I'm saying that in very light tones cause I'm, you know, I'm hoping that some people are listening, um, that are in this genre. Um, and you know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I felt like dirty South rappers have always had like an older persona. They've always looked older. They, they feel like they've always been 35. Right. Um, and so I feel like maybe that's one reason why this style isn't tangible anymore. I feel like if you look at, you know, in pop culture now, there was a lot of backlash, uh, or there still is, um, of Lonzo Ball. He plays for the Lakers. Um, and he, you know, put out this whole thing about how no one listens to the OGs anymore. And, you know, all that old rap isn't, uh, you know, it's not influential. And so I wonder if maybe Dirty South is kind of in that, you know, mindset of like, no one listens to low riding car, slow jam kind of tracks anymore. Um, and if, you know, that's the case, that's fine, but I'm going to still listen to it because I feel like Dirty South is a really cool subgenre of hip hop that, you know, it makes you really feel like a gangster, um, you know, cause damn, it feels good to be a gangster. You know, I may be a little white girl and this may be the white girl's guide to hip hop, but I could throw down with some gangster rap. Um, I really like it. It makes me feel powerful. Um, you know, and I, 
I think it's pretty cool. Um, so let me know your thoughts on Dirty South Hip Hop. If you listen to any of the rappers that I mentioned, uh, give me a shout out on Twitter uh, and let me know how you liked this episode. Uh, next week, we will be talking about East Coast rap. It's definitely going to be a longer episode. So I hope you stick around to hear it and I'll hear see slash talk to y'all later. Wake up. I say my prayers, then I blaze up. A plate of breakfast at my girl chef. Up morning, pretty with no makeup. Yeah, now that I'm woken, I'm smoking. Lay my body in clothing. Chevrolet doors open, 4 g rolling. On the interstate, like niggas was shooting at your homie. Zooming in and out of lanes, booming. A left UGK got both my phones with me. Hit me if it's about some case. Soldier about face, I'm colder than ice age. I'm polar, I'm frozen, I'm golden. My name say that I'm all about my money. Put some racks up every day. In the studio, get Pluto, how we live. Tracks every day, mojo, loop though. If you grind for it, man, it's some shine for you, man. But that money just ain't gonna.